Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode of Two Girls, One Ship, the podcast where we analyze, rate, and review all that the world of video game romances has to offer. I'm Genesis, the girl who learned a lot from this episode that I was not expecting. And I'm Vervada, the girl who also learned a lot. I had no idea about so many of these things, so I was really happy that we got to hear it. It was really cool listening back to it, too, because this episode we recorded months ago. So it was almost like hearing it for the first time when we were editing it. Mm-hmm. We were so excited to sit down and talk with Helen Gould, a sensitivity consultant. Ben Sabin, a previous guest and friend of the pod, was kind enough to introduce us to Helen. So shout out to Ben. It was amazing getting to talk to Helen because we haven't had a chance to have someone with this specific skill set on the podcast before. If you don't know, a sensitivity consultant, sometimes called a sensitivity reader, is someone who checks created works like books and video games for possible issues with regards to race, religion, gender identity, sexual orientation, and cultural norms. There is a vital role that these two girls hope will be more widely used and represented in all aspects of media and entertainment. Helen works with the production company Rusty Quill and has a Patreon at Afrofantasia. Without further ado, let's listen to our chat with Helen. Thank you for joining us. We are very excited to hear from you. Oh, I'm very excited to be here. For our listeners, at least to start off, though, would you mind introducing yourself and what you do and your pronouns as well? We like having that. Excellent. Very good standards. Um, yes, my name is Helen Gould. My pronouns are he, she and they. I am primarily a sensitivity consultant for various different mediums, but I'm also a writer and editor, too. And I also work with uh, a production company called Rusty Quill. I was looking into Rusty Quill. It definitely sounds interesting. And I'm like, oh, another podcast to start listening to. <laughs> oh, we've got so many podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> or rather, we've got like four or five podcasts, but they're, they're usually pretty long. Like the Magnus Archives is 200 episodes. Uh, so a lot to get you started with if you're into horror stuff. Definitely sounds fun. Um, and of course, uh, shout out to Ben who introduced us on Twitter. He spoke very highly and was like, 
So I want you to meet my friend here who is a, you know, the sensitivity, sensitivity readers was something that we were very interested in. Um, he mm-hmm. talked about it when we interviewed him a little while ago and was like, this is such a key aspect to designing video games nowadays. And I was like, I didn't even know that was a thing. And so I'd love to learn more about it. Yeah, it's a, it's a fairly new kind of discipline. Although, I mean, I say that, but it's essentially, it's just a different form of editing, basically. What I do is I look, I, I get asked to look at someone's work and tell them if they are accidentally perpetuating any stereotypes or um, if there's any inaccuracies in how they're portraying um, black characters, mixed race characters. Um, I focus mainly on anti-blackness and uh, mixed heritage experiences, but I also do stuff for... Uh, portrayals of mental health especially things like ptsd stuff like that so yeah i mean one of the very common things that comes up is i end up i'm often correcting people on uh like natural black hair because um i remember there was one it was it was very good it was it was a very good romance book but the writer had their protagonist uh who had like straightened her hair for years and years um, just walk into a salon and have her natural hair come back. And I was like, that's not, that's not how our hair works. <laughs> like, if you've been chemically straightening it, you have to cut it all off, basically, if you want to get your natural hair back. I was like, I don't even think that works with any hairstyle. I mean, <laughs> if I try to curl my hair, it stays for five minutes and then goes away. So using chemical <laughs> straighteners, it's not going to go back to normal like that. No. um but yeah that's that's what sensitivity consulting is it's just making sure that um that you're being sensitive to experiences that aren't yours basically and making sure that we can catch the things that you don't know that you don't know i feel like that that might be a really big part of it because i know that there's still so much that i'm learning and that Mm. i'm you know it's like i may have not known about this one aspect of something but it's like now that i've brought that into my knowledge base i've made the mistakes in the past um but i'm not going to make those in the future but this is why we have to have like sensitivity rears people educating other people it's it's not even always about these big thing like could be Hmm. like my my friend that i met when i lived in san diego she is black I don't know if you could tell if you look at my hair, it's vaguely wavy. And I didn't know how to care for my own hair. And I learned mm. from her because she has natural hair. Like, she's like, you should try sleeping in a silk bonnet. You should try this product. <laughs> like, she freaking helped me with my hair. And like, just learning more about how she took care of her hair helped my life. Like, even just something small like that. If we have those representations done properly in media, like, it just helps everybody to see how everyone lives and what it's like and to see different experiences and how have you seen that progress in games like when did you first start this work and like where is it taking you so i think i got my first i did my first consultation in 2016 or 17 i've done a lot of work on tabletop role-playing games um so that's where i started out and then um i moved into taking on work with prose and fiction 
Um, and I've done some non-fiction work. I've worked in a lot of mediums. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose the main difference I've seen is just a, a rising awareness of that there is a thing called sensitivity reading. Right now in the UK particularly, I'm not sure if it's the same in the USA or elsewhere. There's a big row going on right now in the publishing industry about people people saying that sensitivity reading is like censorship and like the woke mob and stuff like that. But um, we do not have any power to make a writer change what they've written. All we can do is suggest. It's like if you're writing a book about a doctor, but you're not a doctor, you would go and ask a doctor, um, is this accurate? And it's basically that, but for people with, um, with uh, marginalized identities because there are things that you just won't know. And that could be anything from something as massive as language or family dynamics or something as small as, you know, uh, yeah, yeah, how you, how you do your hair in the morning. In terms of how I've seen it progress, I haven't seen any mainstream game companies talk about sensitivity consultation or anything like that yet. All the video games I've worked on have been uh, smaller, independent kind of companies. Let's think. I don't. I actually, I don't know which ones I can name because you know the the life cycle of a game development is very long. So I don't know uh, whether they've all come out. But I've done one that was basically about like medieval cults. One about space exploration. One was like a kind of racing game kind of thing. One was about monsters one was about witches but uh i'm I'm trying to think so in that range of stuff i was looking at things like uh portrayals of women and mixed race characters and mental health i was looking at portrayals of characters of color i one really interesting one the the racing one wasn't even it wasn't story focused at all it was they wanted me to look at all the different lines that the characters say like when you're on like the loading screen and you pick which character you're going to play as and they'll say something like oh yeah we're gonna have a good time or whatever Hmm. um so uh i got given like these massive spreadsheets of all the different sort of taglines and things that they would say and they're just like just check through these see if they sound realistic let us know and i also fed back about some concept art and stuff like that for that one um yeah oh one of them was really interesting because it was about um uh it was a very funny little game about looking at different how to put this it was it was about being in a museum but the developers were very aware of sort of the colonialist implications of that and just wanted me to make sure that um the descriptions they'd written for the various things weren't coming across in the wrong way. So that's the kind of stuff I've done. I don't know what's going to happen in future. I suspect that um, there will be more consultation as things progress, because there's been a lot of movement in sort of the social justice areas because of, I mean, mostly because of social media, because lots of people who didn't used to have a voice and didn't used to be able to express this is hurtful or this is not accurate, we can now say that and we can let people know you know, this is harmful because. And so because that has raised awareness and I think will continue to do so, um, I think companies will continue to, will start seeing more and more value 
in making sure that they're not being harmful. Yeah. I'm really interested in this. I guess for the future, I maybe the ideal would be to have every studio at least have one dedicated person to this work, if not mm. a department even. But um, when we were talking with Ben, he mentioned that oftentimes in games, when they bring, if they do bring in someone like you who will do sensitivity reading, it's so late in the game that they don't change it necessarily. Yeah. <laughs> like, is that your experience? Like, what happens? Oh, when yeah, happens? that can be a real problem sometimes. I've had a couple of projects, not games, but um, books, where it's been just about to be published. Or sometimes when it has been published and they've already had some backlash and they w- then want me to look at, look at it so they know what to change. But often the problems are there, like, in, in the themes and in the concepts and so when you come back and say this theme indicates X bigoted view or um, have you considered that this plot arc uh, perpetuates Y stereotype, if you've already written the whole thing and it's in like final stages and then you ask for feedback, you might end up being like, well, okay, if I act on the feedback that I've got, I'm going to have to entirely rewrite the whole thing and start the whole process again. And so people, you know, often won't do that but it's it's their own fault for waiting so long (laughs) ideally you would get us in in the first initial draft stages the same time that people are doing the usual developmental editing which um in case uh the audience doesn't know developmental editing is the stage where someone just goes through and checks that it all makes sense that it flows that there aren't any plot holes that people's character motivations make sense that d- just looking at the at the book or whatever in a big picture way and making sure that it works so if you if at that stage you bring a sensitivity consultant that's the ideal time and then if you're concerned again at the end so they can see how you've acted on the changes they suggested and um whether there's anything else that's still there i often get second passes where I've given my feedback and then they come back and say, okay, I changed this bit to this. What do you think now? And then I say whatever I say to that. But yeah, I think it's a consequence of people not really understanding the impact that our work can do. I think people still think that it can be like a, like a tick box exercise. So they can say, oh, well, you know, we consulted with people on it, but it's like, if you waited this long, then it was clearly the last thing <laughs> on your mind. And it, it can't be if you're actually sincere about this so yeah ben was right about that yeah it seems like it should be something that's kind of not at every step in the game point but definitely in the beginning when you're making the big picture and then maybe Mm -hmm. at like the halfway point where it's like all right now we've fleshed out a lot of the dialogue made some changes here and there and then this character ended up not working in the storyline so we completely rewrote her to be something different we need to look at all of it again. and Yeah, and it's a lot of work, but making any piece of art is a lot of work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I feel like there wouldn't be as much pushback if this was a stage with a different focus than taking care of marginalized communities. You know, or also hiring them. And so that way they're on the writing team right in the beginning is also a good idea. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like a lot of us, sensitivity consultants, a lot of us are freelance. And so we're just sort of inserted on short-term contracts or just on an invoicing freelance basis. 
but the real the real aim should be to get more diversity in the various industries to begin with and then also because the thing is if for example i think i saw a tweet recently and it was along the lines of lots of these creative industries like to think that oh you know we only pick the best works to to go ahead with and publish but um if the makeup of your team is overwhelmingly white then you can't like it is ridiculous to think that if that team was much more diverse that you wouldn't end up with different work getting through to the final stage so the makeup of these teams from the ground up is also really important because you're going to have lots of different perspectives on a work and I love that you can do that for so many different medias too. It's not just video game development, but in book writing, in 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 nonfiction too. How does that work? I mean, or is, or is it more of a we want to portray this one way or another? Because I'm like, it's nonfiction. You can't really change the past, but maybe you can make it easier to read. Or like, oh, what, I would like- never, I would never advocate like try to make things easier. It would be in terms of so the the nonfiction books I did one that was about the various sort of ethnic communities in London, describing okay, so Chinatown started here and it developed in this way, and it was like describing the various histories of all these different places. And so a lot of it was me recommending either fact checking, because the thing is, even in nonfiction, the author will bring their own biases to it, or they will make assumptions. Like for example, whenever a nonfiction author says "we," their idea of "we" is probably going to be different to the reader's idea of "we," and it depends on who they think their audience is. So I would often say things like, "Try not to generalize here about X community," or "Please double check the spelling of this name because I know that there are different variants of this. And make sure that you're using the right one." I think one comment I left on that book was something like, "Um." This language seems too lighthearted for your describing because the history of London is at points very bloody. And obviously there's been loads and loads of discrimination in this country over the years. And, um, and I think there was just some kind of throwaway comment that was like, Oh, of course, after this mass slaughter, then blah, 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 blah. And I was like, <sighs> we should maybe <laughs> spend some time on that, that kind of thing. Um, but I can't remember exactly what. And another nonfiction book I did was looking at the history of uh, non-white performers. And it was a similar thing. It was just um, something that I end up saying a lot when I'm talking about sensitivity reading is that what people fear we do is that we go in and we like delete chunks or we say you can't say this or you can't say that. But um, most of what I do is I say, I think you should add more here. Like I'm usually asking, can we have more detail on this, more nuance? Can you add, add? So that can be either this, this character seems too, two dimensional. Give them another facet other than say, uh, I don't know, they're a gay flirty man. Give them some more depth because we've got lots of flirty gay men. There's nothing wrong with having flirty gay men, but that's a very, very common trope. And it's nice to, well, it's, it's, it's good and appropriate to, show the humanity of everybody and he's allowed to be sad and he's allowed to be angry and he's allowed to have interests outside of flirting, you know, anyway. And yeah, there's a lot of things about terminology. So some of it might be, oh, there's one. Uh, When people are talking about slavery, for example, I might say, 
say, slave owner instead of master, mm-hmm. or say, enslaved people instead of slaves. So that just because the the term enslaved people just r- reminds you that this is a state that was forced upon them, and it doesn't erase their humanity as much as just saying, "Oh yes, the slaves." So it's useful to have that reminder that they were people. I wanted to ask about like inclusivity in games. I feel like it's a very unique topic. It's easy for people to sit back and and kind of go on one way or the other. They're like, you know how whitewashing has been done so much. And now oh, yeah. I feel like there's this argument by right-leaning people nowadays in, in the U.S. and possibly the U.K. as well, saying like, oh, you're just casting this black actor, this brown actor, because you're trying to be inclusive and you're not giving it to the best character or whatever. Like people getting mm. mad that they're casting, uh, what's her name? Um, for as little mermaid and that new live action Disney adaptation. Yeah. And I don't get that at all, but with games, it's very interesting because there's voice actors. And one of the, the one thing I can think of off the top of my head is, um, in uncharted, the character Nadine Ross is a black South African woman. But the voice actress who played her is a white woman, mm. and she got a lot of flack for that, and possibly for good reason. I thought something that she said that I kind of wanted to get from your work experience and your life experience, I wanted to get your input on it, because she was like, what would you guys have rather done, like, them remove, because she, I guess, part of another thing with voice acting is they didn't know what the character was going to look like when she was auditioning, especially with all the secrecy in games, like, half the yeah. time they don't even know what game they're auditioning for, let alone the character, <laughs> which doesn't make sense to me, but whatever. And she said, would you have rather they changed the way the character looked to match me or would they have fired me who they said I was perfect for the role and then find like an actual black South African voice actress to play her? Like she's like, I don't know what the right answer is, but this, mm. I, I played the part to my best, like heart, like the way I could do it. And I'm glad that there was at least this character in the game because she's a very strong, amazing character. Mm-hmm. And I was sitting with that because I had never considered that for video games. And I wondered what you might think about this kind of work in video games because that was something I hadn't thought about. Was like, well, now, now I don't know how to feel because they should have cast someone who matched the character, but also is the ta- like. There's so many complicated things with games that's not in mm. movies and film. I wonder what you thought about it. I think, first of all, I wouldn't really blame the actress herself for that role if she didn't know, like, if they didn't know what the ethnicity of the character was going to be in the first place, then I can't, I can't say that the actress was at fault because she didn't know when she accepted the role. I actually think that that must be, that that's a process thing. I think that you should sort out who the character is that you're casting for. Um, before you get to the casting process how that character identifies is going to influence them there are going to be things in their life that are going to affect how they react and what they think about things Um, so I have no idea why they didn't already have that sorted and already look for uh, an appropriate voice actor for that part Um, in an ideal world in my opinion, I think characters of colour should absolutely be voiced by voice actors who are of the same background. Especially because, as in every field and every industry, people of colour are not represented as much. So 
it's good to give them opportunities by making characters that are like them. But I guess the issue isn't just about this one instance, I suppose. Um, it's the fact that that was an opportunity that could have been given to a black actress and wasn't. Where so many characters are already just white dudes. The fact that a role that could have been played by a black woman wasn't. It's, it's the, it's the fact that there's so few of them already and voice actor of color was still not given the opportunity to play that. I think that is where the issue is. And I think that the answer to that is to diversify across the board. And because that's, that, that's, that's my answer to so many things. But that's, that's such an easy answer. Like I, when I read this whole article <laughs> on it and they, and everyone was going into these deep dives of like, this is the how we make games though. And half the time they don't know what game they're auditioning for. And I'm like, oh, well, yeah, now I kind of feel bad for Laura Bailey because she, apparently she found out when she showed up for the first day of work, of work for this character and she saw the concept art for the first time mm. and was like, oh, this might be a problem. But yeah, she that, by that point, she's signed contracts and stuff. Exactly. I can't blame her for like not backing out yeah. when she's now under a contractual legal obligation. Create the character and then hire someone who goes with the character. <laughs> that seems <laughs> such a simple solution. Like, and that wasn't mentioned anywhere in any of my research for this. Because like that was just one example of that happening all over the place. And there was another, they interviewed this one Latina actress who was like, well, I like voice acting because I could play anybody. If I were in film, I'd be typecasted as like the Latina actress, but mm. in voice acting, I could play anyone. And I'm like, yeah, but it's already gone the other way so many times mm. where they hired a white person to play the role. So like, I see that yeah. point, but I don't that think bias that's... is always going to be there. Exactly. So gosh, it's, <laughs> you just explained it so easily though. I, when you were saying that, I was like, it's literally, that's all it would take is just to have a solid character concept. And then you go and do the hiring. Yeah. yeah I mean, the thing is like video games are still a relatively new industry and they could learn a lot from um, the film industry in terms of the casting calls that they do. It sounds like it's a messy, confused process that they were at. And that is where the problem lies rather than much else. Yeah, um, I wanted I to ask so you that because it's something I, 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 Jen has probably gotten tired of me talking about Uncharted because I just played that series. So that's why it was fresh <laughs> in my mind though. Cause I, I never played it when it first came out. And I was like, I, I've never spoken to someone whose whole job is to be inclusive and make sure that they're not going into bad stereotypes or whatever. And so I was like, this is a unique problem that she might have unique insight into. And I'd <laughs> like more people to know about it because clearly, the way I read it with my non-games industry brain, I was like, well, it does sound like there's no easy solution. <laughs> Apparently there is. Like, Well, just... I mean, it's probably not easy to overhaul your entire process, but easy and the right thing to do often do not go together. <laughs> so, <laughs> Exactly. Like, it's worth it to do the work because, I mean, yeah. my thing is like, yeah, I'm ha the two women in this one DLC that I was thinking about is she is a black South African woman. And then there's a half Australian, half Indian woman. Oh. And both of the actresses were white for them, which they're prolific voice actresses. But it's like, sure. I'm sure there's a bunch of prolific voice actresses or equally talented people. And there has to be a way 
to get them into those yeah. roles as well. Yeah, that sounds like a massive missed opportunity. I thought of that because I'm like, that seems to be all in part of this this problem of having or of needing sensitivity. It's not even just reading. It's like all of those aspects. That's something that your work could potentially, I feel like that's where it should go in the future is all aspects of game development. Like you can, or a department that's doing work like you're doing could look at it and be like, well, here, here's a pitfall. Here's a problem. Can we change it this way? Not just through content, but through all those things, Hmm. because they're important too. (laughs) It's why I often call myself a, a consultant rather than just a reader, because it's often not just reading that I'm doing. And that's not the only area in which um, my expertise could be useful. We've talked a lot about the the racial aspect of the readings and or the consulting, um, but you also talked about the mental health of it, too, like mm. um, talking about people with PTSD or other mental health uh, situations like that. You want to talk a little bit about the readings and consulting you've done for those? Ooh, I don't get as many for those because I think because that is such a a personal and intimate topic. I think there's a bit less call for it. But I have, I fa- in fact, I recently finished doing one where it's basically an entire book about someone having a mental breakdown, and it's an extremely funny book. Um, in terms of like leading into the absurdity of the things that you think in the, in the, in the sort of gallows humor way that you often do, like when you're sort of depressed and sending memes about depression to your other depressed friends, like Mm -hmm. (laughs) that kind of thing. And honestly, because most of the time the authors that I work with who are dealing with those topics have experienced them themselves, it's often pretty accurate. And so, a lot of my comments will be like, this feels very true because this is the other side of sensitivity consulting as well. Like I, I really try and make sure that I tell someone where they've done something well, not just where they could make an improvement because I think it's, it's very valuable. And the process of, I know that people can be very nervous about getting that kind of feedback. So now I have like, I have a special page on my website where I'm like, this is what will happen. This is the kind of things that I will usually say. I'm not going to just say, this is racist, and then just leave you to deal with it. <laughs> like, So yeah, for mental health stuff, there was that one about someone uh, breaking it with their partner and then not really understanding why they did it and just spiraling for like a year. Um, there was one that was to do uh, domestic abuse, one of the games I looked at that was to do with PTSD. It was like a, it was a sequel game, and the characters in it were dealing with the fallout of what happened in the previous game, and um, they were having nightmares and flashbacks and what would you call it, uh, dissociating and things like that. And that was a really interesting project because that was watching a lot of videos of sample gameplay of the bits they wanted me to look at. And I think one of the comments I left on that was along the lines of, I think I encouraged them to show the character being angry more. Sorry, I, <laughs> I'm sorry if I sound hesitant because it's, I do, I do this a lot. <laughs> so it's, a, it's difficult to remember specifics about something that I may have done a couple of years ago. But I think I was saying, I think that she should be able to express anger and have that anger be validated by the people around her because she was spending a lot of time 
alone, if I remember correctly, and I was just like, there is a there is a mother figure here who I think could be helping her deal with this. You might want to consider including that as an aspect so that the player can can see how interpersonal relationships are affected rather than just, you know, flashing lights every so often and crying. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm over here losing my shit. We're having a really good conversation about mental health and my cat is freaking out and yelling into my microphone. It's... <laughs> Our cat is uh, our unofficial mascot because she's Aww. always there. <laughs> What's the but cat's name? Maya. Maya! We love Maya. Oh, she's very welcome. <laughs> um, but Come that's here, something see. I wanted to talk about too, obviously, because our podcast is about romance and games, but also we really like talking about just any kind of relationship between characters. Mm. And it sounds like your work has touched on feedback for how relationships play out in the stories that you're reading and oh absolutely i've done quite a lot of consulting on um interracial relationships there was an excellent book that was written that i looked at recently where it was the very rare interracial relationship where nobody is white it was um an asian man and a black woman and it was looking at anti-blackness in the asian community and also like dealing with the pressures of family and what is expected of who your partner might be and a lot of like anxiety. So that was another one where I was looking at mental health because this guy was having panic attacks all over the shop. But it was very, very well written and I thought that was good. But like, yes, I deal a lot with with romantic relationships, especially interracial ones, but also because the way that characters treat each other it's always about that there are always issues of power dynamics. And so those have to be engaged with in a way that makes sure that no one is losing agency. No one is being portrayed unnecessarily this way or that way. So for example, there's a couple and one of them is a black woman. I try and avoid having them, uh, having the black woman always taking care of the other partner because that's slots black women into this role of, um, always being the comforter, always being the emotional support and never receiving it in return. So a lot of a lot of my work is like looking at equalizing relationships, making sure that focus is shared equally. And if someone does something wrong, making sure that they're called out properly for it, or at least that it's indicated that it is a bad thing to do. <laughs> the stereotype that I see the most it's like the angry black woman. And oh, yeah. Yeah. And I'm just like, mm, no, we need to move away from things mm. like that because there are, you know, the healthy ways to deal with anger and things like that. Yes, it is fine to yell, you know, mm. but she's really got me distracted and losing my train <laughs> of thought. Um, <laughs> but for for it to always be the if I feel the slightest bit of anger I'm going to fly into a rage every single time. It's like that's not realistic. Mm. That's not Unless you want to explore why. I think there is absolutely scope for there to be a black character who does fly into a rage at the drop of a hat. But you've got to explain why. It can't be because she's a black woman. Mm. <laughs> like it's about it's again it's about that depth. It's about that avoiding making two-dimensional characters regardless. A lot of, this is going to sound pompous, but a lot of my work is just pointing out 
what would in any other sort of lens just be bad writing <laughs> like and just like this character has been written poorly and as a result is straying into these stereotypes because it seems like there hasn't been enough thought put into it consider this 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 or this and also one thing i i have i i do think about the angry black woman trope is that it's a corollary to the emotional support black woman because as soon as that black woman is no longer absorbing all of the stress and conflict and problems of the other characters as soon as she tries to stand up for herself then immediately oh you're angry you're being so aggressive why are you being so mean to me those two often go hand in hand where the slightest sort of resistance or independence is read as aggressiveness or anger when that's not actually what's happening it kind of reminds me of when i was i used to be a a linguist for the government and Wow. Something, oh, yeah, I've lived many lives. <laughs> but um, one thing that my, when I was, I, I learned Korean. And when I was learning Korean, one thing that my teachers always, always, always hammered into our skulls was like context is everything. And that to me is like the best lesson that applies to everywhere in life. Because yeah. I think that's what you're basically getting at is like you can have a character that on the surface, if you're taking a glance, might look like a stereotype, but as long as you have the appropriate context to provide why they're acting like that, and it's not just skin color or gender, etc., then it could work. You just have to write it well. You have to make a believable character, and I feel like that's what all the narrative designers we've interviewed so far, that's like the (laughs) common theme is in order to make a good relationship between two characters, each character has to be fully fleshed out first. Like you, you have to know how they would respond in this situation. What are their motivations? Mm. What's their background? Like beyond just, I like pink and I am blonde, you know, you have to go (laughs) further than that. Absolutely. A really good example of that is Damien from dream daddy. I don't know if you've played that. I haven't, but Ben was talking about that, and I was like, I need to put that on my list. Oh, it's so much fun. It's so much fun. But um, the thing with Damien, he, uh, when you first talk to him, he presents as like a really goth, vampire-looking kind of dude, and he's really into sort of Edwardian and Victorian styles and ways of speaking and things like that. But as time goes on, he sort of relaxes and uh, he turns up dressed sort of in more conventional clothes, if I remember correctly, at some point. And he's like, oh, I, you know, I feel comfortable enough with you that I don't need to uh, put up, to put up a front anymore. Yes. Yes. And and also um, he likes he likes romantic comedies, Aww. <laughs> not horror films. And so it's like little quirks like that that give a character, like that makes them feel like a proper person. Because in a lesser game, it would be like, this is the goth dad, and that would be it. I'm the woman who analyzes sex scenes in video games, but I also collect rubber ducks. You know? (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) I suppose then, if you were to give advice to people writing stories like what are the common mistakes that you see time and again and i'm sure there's easy ways like just 
hire me to read your stuff first or something, you know, like what's the easy solution? Is there an easy solution? Or to, well, is there actually, like enough education to get rid of these common potholes? People that you might, I'm assuming that there's recurring themes and everything that you're reading. There are some, there are some. Um, I would never give a blanket recommendation to hire me because I'm not going to be suitable for every project. And also I'm very busy and tired. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and I will, there are times where I've read something and I've been like, um, on a 101 level, this doesn't seem accurate to me, but I would recommend that you get in a sensitivity reader who specializes in whatever this is, just to make sure that my gut feeling is, is correct and, you know, find out more about it. Common things that come up. One is, so this is going to sound possibly a bit uncharitable, but one is where the author is trying too hard to like to talk about privilege and things like that, where they will have maybe a character say something and then another character call them out for it, but they do it in such a way that it sounds like they're like just reciting like an article from the internet where it's like, oh, that is a very privileged thing to say. And the thing is that uh, for a lot of us, we are not walking around thinking about, for example, our race all the time. Like, we don't like we think about it when it like i'm not walking around thinking like i like uh ah i have woken up i am a mixed race person i i walk brownly to the door (laughs) (laughs) um but like there's um (laughs) there is a tendency for the author to be so absorbed in trying to make sure that they are giving the right message that it ends up them sounding preachy and so um and make and by default making the character sound preachy so i'm like we're not walking textbooks on social justice the way that i would call a friend out is is like not the way that is often portrayed in in books i'm trying to think of an example but um I have pretty socially conscious friends. Well, that's actually, that's actually a good, a good point as well. Sometimes you can say a lot with having someone not call it out. Um, there was one book I read where someone said something to someone, to someone else and then later realized, oh, that might have hurt their feelings. And then went and asked. And then that's how the conversation started. Cause a lot of the time you do end up just taking it because there's always a risk assessment. Like, do I want to have this conversation right now? So yeah, so that that's that's number one. Try not to accidentally become preachy in your writing, or to reduce the marginalized character to just explaining their experiences. Another one is this. This may just be because I've just finished a, a consultation around this subject, but um, people make a lot of assumptions about what mixed race people look like, and I often end up directing them to this website. It's called. Uh, mixedracefaces.com and it's a really interesting website because it's 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 just it's just full of various different photographic portraits of people from different ethnic backgrounds and they and they'll have like a short sort of essay or comment on something and, and what they feel about x or y but it really shows you the the breadth of what mixed race people can look like there is often an assumption that uh, mixed race people will have, you know, light brown skin and blue eyes and wavy hair. And it's like, nope, that's 
it, for, for one thing, it's actually it's quite rare for us to have light coloured eyes because those brown eyes, brown eye gene is very strong. <laughs> but um, there's a thing there where people think that like giving a mixed race character more European features, like they subconsciously feel like that makes them more attractive or more interesting or more like exotic of a of a character, so they like to lean on that. But it's like no. Give, give them brown eyes and a fro because that is just as likely, uh, but less represented. Another thing I end up talking about a lot is uh, black hair, as I mentioned earlier. And I often just send them to all the sources that I've used to learn to take care of my black hair. And I'm like, here are all the different sort of hair types. Decide which one your character is. And then based on that, decide what hairstyles they do. Because a messy bun is not attainable for everybody. And I will direct them towards sometimes just hairstylist sites and be like, look at all these different ways that people can look. You've got to decide on this. Otherwise, your descriptions of this character's hair are going to be giving vi- like wildly different ideas of what they look like. I think apart from that, I think what one thing one thing that I would say is always question your first assumption for a character. So if you come up with a character, you're like, oh, okay, so they're from this place, so they will act like this. And it's like, why will they act like that? Why Why did you assume that? Why have you immediately associated these traits with this kind of character? I think having, just, just thinking more deeply about things would solve so many problems. Just Just having a second thought or even third or fourth boards, if you want to get wild with it, that will help a lot because the the main problem is usually just going with your first gut instinct because that first assumption, that instinctive gut instinct, is us- is usually what society has like drilled into you. And we live in a in a racist, sexist, homophobic, transphobic, etc. society. And so your gut instinct is influenced by that and you've got to apply your brain to it to make it into something that's actually realistic and usable and helpful. Yeah, I think that's, I think that would be what I would say. <laughs> I think that's perfect advice. I think a lot of people, I'm, I'm glad you're doing this work, but I think a lot of people also assume that they can just ask the one non-white person they know like the one poc like can you just explain all this and unpack this entire thing for me (laughs) and for for me i I happen to have a friend who is gracious enough to have explained things to me over the years like i had no idea hair texture one through four c was a thing (laughs) until i talked to her and she was patient enough to teach me but it's also like google is a thing it's free (laughs) and there's a lot of great things on the internet (laughs) <laughs> and, and something also helped me that I think could help a lot of people who look like me, us white folks, you know, who may not actively have ever thought about what another person who doesn't look like us experiences in their day to day. Like me learning Korean and living in Korea for a time mm. was so helpful in that because it took me literally out of my world. Like I didn't even think or dream in the same language anymore. And I know not everyone is capable of doing that, mm. but you can get little glimpses if you just expand your reach a little bit, you know? Absolutely. I mean, I have some things I would add to that, which is um, definitely don't expect it from uh, your sort of friends from various marginalized backgrounds. But um, 
if they are willing to do it, then absolutely ask them. I'm I'm the kind of person where I'll be more than happy to book. Like, obviously, I'm that kind of person because it's my job. <laughs> but um, I'm I'm really happy like to do that because I trust my friends and I feel like I have a relationship with all of my friends where I could talk these things through with them. And I'm just generally um, I'm a reasonably sort of open and patient person who's happy to do that kind of stuff but not everybody is so don't make assumptions and don't overstep but it's almost always more useful to ask someone with personal lived experience than it is to uh to to just do research because the the problem with google is that you can't google for things that you don't know that you have wrong and so you need to have an idea of what you're looking for first before you can enter the search terms. Something that's really, really useful to do. I think people's opinions are going to differ on this, but for me, something I found really useful in terms of gaining a sort of basic knowledge of people who are different to me is by following various different activists on Twitter and seeing what issues they bring up and uh, what's affecting them in their day-to-day lives and what their opinions on this and this. And I've learned so much from people. And it's that is also, that's free. <laughs> it takes a while to sink in, but the same things do come up over and over again because they keep happening. And eventually you will be like, oh, okay, so this seems to be a constant issue. So if I ever write about this, I will make sure to consult on that topic. But yeah, Twitter is a really good resource. Um, and there are lots and lots of accounts on there of people who are happy to educate and will regularly do so by posting about it. It reminds me, like, I was in a big science mode for a couple of years where I wanted to learn everything. I was like, I'm going to be out on nature walks and birding and taking pictures of little tiny insects and all these things. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to get on Twitter and I'm going to follow people who do this. And then I found so many different layers of Twitter that I didn't even know were out there. But I didn't... I didn't know it was there until I went looking for something I didn't know was there. Yeah. And then they also will interact and talk to each other about things. And you're like, I didn't even know this was a conversation that was going to happen in the community. And I think that's really important to understand that there are always going to be multiple different opinions about things. And in some cases, you are going to end up having to use your own judgment on various things. And if you get it wrong, you get it wrong. And you say sorry and you try again. Alright, V, do we have any other questions? Um, I guess the only other question I have is a complete topic change and uh, easily answered, hopefully. Is oh, we ask place. everyone, do you have a favorite romance in any video game you've played? So, I am currently streaming Mass Effect um, on my oh. Twitch channel. <laughs> and, um, we haven't, we're still at the beginning of Mass Effect 1. Nothing has happened with anyone yet. Garrus is my boy and will always be my boy. <laughs> 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 Garrus is also got, our boy. I've yep. got that one. He said my little bubble head. Uh, I've got I've got a computer desk now, so he can stay here. Um, <laughs> That's mine. He's been on every desk I've ever had as an adult working, like <laughs> in the secret government space, and now in my home <laughs> office. Uh, I've only just recently got my own desk for working at home. So 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, he can live here now. Um, yes, I have a massive soft spot for Garrus. Um, and I love him dearly. I will rant when we get to Mass Effect 2. Um, but I also, I want to do a little shout out for, um, I really liked Sans and Toriel's relationship in Undertale. I think it's so cute. They, um, if you haven't played it, it's, it's very in the background. Um, and it's all kind of sort of just, just hinted at and there's nothing that explicit, but they bond over bad jokes. Oh. And that's just so cute to me. Um, if you haven't played it, um, Saz explains that Toriel lives behind a, a sealed off portion of the world, uh, behind a door. And Sans tells lots of, lots of jokes. So he goes up to this door to practice knock, knock jokes. And then one day he says knock, knock, and someone says, who's there? And then, and then they start telling each other jokes and, if you go into Toriel's room, you can find a book of jokes as well. So she was like, she was looking up jokes to tell him. I think that's very, very cute, basically. <laughs> I think it's very sweet. All right. Now I have three games on my list that I'm going to start looking at. <laughs> uh, yeah, my one of my best friends when I was in the Navy was all super into Undertale, but I have yet to play it because I, I don't know, keep playing huge RPG games. I need to stop. <laughs> I need to play Undertale. <laughs> at times it's a pretty difficult game because it's a it's a it's one of those ones where you have to dodge things a lot but it's it's really worth it the story is great one of my favorite favorite games of all time i'm definitely gonna play it just enough for me is the story it's, it's all i play games for it's yes. the story yeah and thank you so it. much helen for coming on here and oh. talking with us i really really appreciate it especially when you said you're busy and tired i was like oh. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much <laughs> for donating your time <laughs> I did a, I did a four hour recording this morning, so like <laughs> oh. it's okay, and it is entirely my fault. This is the kind of thing that I do love to do because <laughs> I'm not I'm not used to other people being so quiet for so long because so many of my friends are performers. <laughs> oh. so, so I have just been about all my work. No. That's what I wanted. Wanted you to come on here and soapbox <laughs> it for us. That's like your whole job. I, that's what I feel like my job is, is to listen, you know? <laughs> well, it's been it's been a delight. And I, yeah, I love talking about my work. It's why I'm so busy and tired, because I really love my job. And so I keep doing things. And I'm like, oh, no, <laughs> these are so many things. <laughs> oh, my gosh, I know. <laughs> Work full time, <laughs> podcast. And I'm also like primary caregiver for my child who is a toddler and Oof. i'm also tired but Oof. this is fun so it Toddlers doesn't feel like work, work. No. yeah i can't wait um i don't know i don't want her to grow up fast but i also want her to like be able to do things for herself because <laughs> mm. uh yeah or at least have someone watch her so i can focus on one thing at a time that will be nice <laughs> when that goes back to being able to do that <laughs> imagine Right around seven, when they learn how to use the microwave on their own, it's a game changer. <laughs> she can already get her juice out of the fridge by herself. And I was like, heck, this Aww. is awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. And I hope you get to rest and relax for the rest of the day. Yes, I can. And I have all of tomorrow off. It's going to oh, be yay. great. Just going to lie down the whole day. <laughs> <laughs> and play Mass Effect. That's that's only for my streams. That's only oh. for my my friends on stream. Right. <laughs> Helen, how oh. can our list? How can our listeners reach you? <laughs> you got it. Oh 
Right. Yes. Um, so you can find me on Twitter at Electo101. That is A-L-E-C-T-O-101. Uh, there's a link to my Patreon there. And I stream at the moment every week, every Wednesday. And that's uh, twitch.tv forward slash Helmand. That's H-E-L-E-N-R-O-S-A-M-U-N-D. And yeah. Uh, we're playing Mass Effect 1 and having a grand old time and crashing the Mako everywhere. It's great. Yay. Flip the Mako. Yeah, it's like driving a boat mm-hmm. on land. <laughs> <laughs> and they yeah. said they enhanced the driving for the Legendary Edition. So, if they did, I still, man- I still managed to get stuck, flipped oh. over on a straight road. <laughs> <laughs> so talented. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I got the Mako impaled on one of the husk spikes the other day. Oh my god! And I was like, I can't, I can't get out. You yeah. can't get out I always... it has to be parked on even terrain. <laughs> yeah, then you have to restart, I guess. I always try to mountain climb with it, like because in Skyrim yeah. I was always like mountain climbing horse and just make it defy the game mechanics. Yeah. And I try to do it with the Mako too, but I always end up getting stuck. Yeah, yeah. but it's horses in Skyrim are hardier. <laughs> thank you so much again now that we have your plug sorry i'm a terrible podcaster <laughs> no you're not you've been wonderful and this has been great thanks so much for having me oh yay <laughs> all right then catch you later bye bye so if you like what you're hearing please be sure to leave a review on itunes or give us a rating on spotify and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts You can now find me in the Cyberpunk Lorecast channel with my co-host Toasty, and of course in our Two Girls One Ship channel on the Robots Radio Discord. Come give us a follow on all the social medias and on Patreon. Fucking Jillian, you have to use the same now. Identify with that. <laughs> Aww. <laughs> Where did it go off the rails? You could pick up from that. Just start over, I guess. I'm so sorry. <laughs> just leave. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Here, I'll be more expecting. <laughs> and come give us a follow on all the social medias and on patreon.com slash two girls one ship. Links to those are in the description. I'm on the Robots Radio Discord as well, and on our own Two Girls One Ship Discord server, where we nerd out on all our favorite CGI significant others. <laughs> God damn it! Can I just go? Be sure to check out our live streams on Twitch on Wednesdays and Fridays at 10.30pm Eastern Time, 7.30pm Pacific Time, or watch the YouTube video a few days after the stream. Our our podcast episodes release on Mondays because you need at least one good thing on a Monday. So thanks for listening. And remember, beauty is in the eye of the controller. (laughs) Hi, I'm Aaron. 
And I'm Ariel. And we're the host of the Legend of Zelda Lorecast, a podcast about all things Legend of Zelda, from Errol to Zora. And all the fun things in between. If you're ready to dive deep and learn more about the Legend of Zelda lore and everything surrounding it, come join us on the Legend of Zelda Lorecast. You can find us on Apple iTunes, Spotify, Google, or wherever else you get your podcasts. We hope to see you soon.